what I hope we talk about today is the serpent deceived me and I ate. <clears throat> but before we do that, let me bring us just so we can mark where we are in time. Today is March the 17th, 2021. Exactly one year ago today, Lubbock, Texas had its first COVID test, uh, positive. A week ago was when the whole world started changing everything. But for Lubbock, Texas, a year ago today, we had our first positive COVID. A lot of things have changed. A lot of things haven't changed uh, in, that, in that situation. We put... Uh, I think we've had 49,000 cases here in Lubbock, uh, 700 deaths, something like that. One time, we were the most, we were like the seventh most active city in the United States. Uh, so my question to us is, what did we learn? <laughs> what, what have we learned from this pandic, pandemic, and were we supposed to learn anything? I began early on in the process of questioning God, what was he doing with the pandemic? And I think, I think it was a wake-up call for mankind, not for Lubbock, Texas, but for all of mankind, that clearly COVID was a wake-up call to bring us to some things. And so... Um, You know, I think back to a day when Noah walked with God. When Tommy and I, Tommy brought this up this morning, Tommy and Mickey, early this morning. A time when Noah walked with God, and, you know, God's frustration was that mankind was so corrupt that he had given us 120 years to correct our way. He had looked upon... Uh, the sons of God, and they were looking upon the daughters of man and taking for themselves any they desired. And this frustrated God to the point that he regretted ever having made mankind. And he gave, man, <clears throat> gave us 120 years to correct our ways. And in that time, we did nothing. We didn't learn anything. And so... God destroyed <clears throat> everything he had created except for the ark, uh, the boat, the ark, and eight people and a pair of, of all the animals. We know the story well. But it was highly frustrating for God. I'm going to assume, and it's, it's not recorded in Scripture as such, but I'm going to assume in that 120 years preceding the flood, it was very likely that God sent warnings to mankind that they didn't heed. And I'm just basing that on his relationship with Israel after that, that he routinely sent warnings and sent warnings and sent warnings to get them to come back. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about <coughs> the movement of where we are in the epochs of God right now. What is going on? How... <laughs> Are, are we at the end of times? How close are we to the end of times? I'm not going to be able to specifically tell you because I don't know. But what are we seeing from God that would cause us to, uh, 
change the way we act, change the way we think, or anything like that. Most of you know I, I'm back to reading through the scriptures every year. I go from front to back, <clears throat> from Genesis to Revelation in a year now in scriptures, and I'm back to doing that. So we've, we've been through uh, the first few books of the, of the Bible. We're in 1 Samuel now, myself, and some, a few others are. And one of the things that God is impressing on, on me, we know, <clears throat> we've been told by Paul, that we view no one or nothing in the natural anymore, even though we once did Christ Jesus. But the implication is that we're to view all things from above. All of us in here, everything we know, is a new creation in Christ. And we should not look at each one another uh, in the natural. We should try to receive one another in the spiritual. But even beyond that, the circumstances and the events that are going on around us we need to judge them from the throne of Christ, not, <coughs> not from street level. And now we tend to, especially when they're my circumstances, I tend to look at them from where I am. But I, I have to request of the Holy Spirit to show me this thing from above, so wh where God is. And so I, I want to talk about some, some things. I wanna, the first one I want to do a comparison on is... <coughs> If I ask you what was given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, what would you say? The Ten Commandments. Okay. Anything else? Any way, other way you'd describe it? The law. The law? Yeah. Where do we get that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From uh, Charlton Heston. Uh, Charlton Heston gave us that, that it was a law. Do, do we know that Scripture doesn't call it that? I hung up on you because I've got somebody here. Okay. Uh, scripture doesn't call it law. Scripture calls it the ordinances, the commandments, the statutes, the decrees of, of God to the Israelites. And we put that word law on it, and, and to me, really gave it a negative twist. It's, we say, now this, is, this law restrains my freedom, restricts my freedom, rather than viewing it as these are the ordinances of God intended for my well-being. And if, it, if you do this, it will go well with you. You know, if we do these things, y'all've all got kids. You will, you will, you will give them ordinances. You will give them decrees. You will give them statutes. Uh, some of you have been working on an order or, or uh, the rule for your households, and these, all of these things, aren't meant to just limit their freedom, but to protect them from something. We don't. We tell our kids, don't go play in the street. It's not because you don't like them playing in the street. It's because if you do, you're, there's a good chance you're going to get hurt. That ordinance, that commandment, that decree is given to them for their benefit. <clears throat> and so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some things. But, but I'm thinking we have to look behind. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to show us 
behind God's decree, what was he trying to teach us? Um, what was he saying to help form the culture of the nation of Israel in a manner that would reflect what his original intent was? Now, I'm, I am convinced, based on Scripture, that God intended for all of the nation of Israel to come up Mount Sinai. He said, when you hear the ram's horn blow, I want you all to come up here. Remember, they all said, no, 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 no. We'll send Moses up. You tell Moses, and we'll do whatever Moses said. So God would have had rather lead Israel by his spirit with each individual, but they chose to set up a different system. They, they asked God, you tell Moses, whatever Moses says, we'll do it. So they set up what became known as the Levitical priest, the order of the Levitical priest, or really the order of the Levites. The Levitical priest is not even an actual, uh, an accurate term in essence. So what came out of that was we had Moses, and then we had Aaron and his sons, who were a unique set of priests, anointed to go into the presence of God. Then you had the Levites, who served, and then you had the people of God, the nation of Israel. And so in our attempt to view from above, I'm going to ask you to... Let's look at some Old Testament terms and see what they look like in the New Testament. If we talk about the Garden of Eden, what, what was God putting on display there? What was the Garden of Eden, a type, Garden of Eden, a type and shadow of? It's a type and shadow of heaven. What it's like to be without out fear, without anger, without frustration, without tear, without toil, you know, to live at peace with one another and peace with, with our circumstances. That, that was the Garden of Eden. When Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate, they were banned outside of that to live into the natural now. So they were banned from the garden and they went forth. Now I will suggest to you all through scripture, we're seeing, if, if you take the first uh, six chapters and certainly the first eight chapters of Genesis, we're going to see the beginning of every sin that you know today. There, the seed was planted in that time. And I, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Every one of these things were planted in. And we're seeing this thing come to its fullness. It's like we, those seeds were planted and an orchard has grown and the fruit is ripe right now. We're seeing the fullness of all these things come out. Uh, the spirit of Cain, the spirit of, uh, of uh, rebellion, the heart against the Father, all of these things are coming out, and we're seeing the fullness of them now in our day. Uh, Revelation speaks of, and Sam does, Sam Solon does great teaching on the four horsemen, and, and the first one is, is deception, and then there's division, and then there's lack, and then there's death, and, and Hades. And we're seeing that, that deception and that division come forth uh, quite clearly. There are predictions of lack uh, of food, lack of food, but 
and some people have already suffered that, and there's lack of, of resources that are coming forth, that we're seeing this stuff just come out in the fullness. So Eden was what God had originally intended for us and what he intends to redeem us back to. So when you read in Scripture and you, you see the word Eden, think of it in that way, that this was the original intent of God and the way he wanted things to be. Uh, if, if we say Egypt, when we read about Israelites being in Egypt, what are we th talking about there? <clears throat> We're talking about the kingdom of darkness, being enslaved to sin. Egypt, for the Israelites, marked their enslavement to sin. And they came out of the kingdom of darkness and began their process toward the promised land. Um, the Red Sea would be a, a not only the, seeing the miracles of God, but a washing, a, a passing through, you know, carrying through just like as the ark, the boat, the ark was carried, carried the people of God through that destruction of creation. The Red Sea was a passageway that brought the Israelites out of the kingdom of darkness and began their journey through the wilderness. And the Red Sea became that which destroyed those things that pursued them. So there's a, a loose type and shadow of the baptism that destroys our enemies. That as in the passing through from the old life to the new life, how that thing destroys our enemies, destroys our demons, if you will. Destroys those things that pursue us. Cut it, cuts us off for that. The wilderness, <clears throat> I mean, that's our, that's our maturing process. We live in the wilderness. I've said it before. In the wilderness, uh, that's the easiest place to see the mercy and goodness of God. When, when you're struggling, when, when you need a pillar to keep you a pillar of fire to keep you warm at night and a cloud to keep you cool in the day and you don't have time to stop and raise crops so you need manna to fall from the sky and you get thirsty and you need water from a rock the wilderness is a great place to see the mercy the kindness the goodness the love of God put on display and and I would would when I read the when I think of the wilderness now I think about that's the process we each go through in maturing from a napios to a huios. You go through the wilderness, and this is what God uses in order to mature you up, make you consistent, to prepare you for something that's going to come in the future. Uh, Jordan River, once again, that was the that was after. A mature generation had been raised, the third generation out of Israel, they passed through once again the water to come into the promised land. What's the promised land uh, for me becomes the natural manifestation of heaven. It's how God would want it to be in the natural, uh, knowing that someday we will return to heaven again. But <laughs> ironically, God set Moses down before that and said, listen, you tell them, here's what's going to happen. They're going to go into the promised land, things are going to get good, and they're going to forget who I am. 
and they're going to worship foreign gods. They're going to pick up idols, and we're going to have we're going to have difficulty, and they'll return to me, and then we'll go through this again and again and again. And that's that's what happened in the Promised Land, all the way down to the place in Malachi, where God really confronts them about everything. So you you've been treacherous with your wives of youth. You hadn't been faithful with the tithes. You hadn't been faithful with the offerings. You you've rejected my ways. You and your and your people, and I, um, I want you to return to me so that I might return to you. He hadn't given up on him, but he, but we know the next step was John the Baptist and Jesus Christ coming forth, creating a method by which mankind can uh, return to God. God gave the means by which man could return to God so that God could return to him. Now, one of the things I want to talk about in the next few weeks is what I call the walls of Nehemiah. Between the, the entering of the promised land and the close of the Old Testament where we had 450 years where the prophets did not hear from God. God did not speak to man, I guess, would be an accurate way to say it. In between those two, there were several times that man repent, repented. One of the men, there, there are two people that really strike me in the Old Testament about their uh, faithfulness to God. One of them was Hezekiah and one of them was ne- Nehemiah. I don't know why we don't make a bigger deal out of Hezekiah because you remember Hezekiah was the one that came back and wanted to rebuild the temple and he instructed the priest to go in and get all the filth and decay out of the temple and bring it out to the Levites and let them carry it off. Nehemiah, uh, who was in captivity in Babylon and got word of the condition of Jerusalem, and if we may, uh, you know, in these words that we want to translate into from above, if we talk about tabernacle, if if we talk about the both the ark, the ark of the covenant, the tabernacle, we're talking about the dwelling place of God. We talk about Jerusalem. You can talk about the dwelling place of God, the city of God. Now today, of course, we are the tabernacle of God. We are intended to be the dwelling place of God. So Hezekiah's work in the natural to clean up the, temp- to clean up the tabernacle and temple where it would carry, it would be fit for the uh, glory of God to come into. That's what I'm saying is going on in us. We have to make ourselves available for his glory to come and reside in us so it might be seen. When you read the word Israel, I would encourage you always think of the people of God. Our religious thinking has made Israel, reduced Israel to a geographic or sometimes political nation rather than the people of God. Uh, Israel's name was changed to Israel to represent the sons of God. We are part of the, the nation of Israel. We are the sons of God. The nation of Israel is not a nation of this earth. Jesus' uh, comment to Pontius Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is something else, but my kingdom 
the inhabitants of my kingdom would be known as the sons of God or in Old Testament times would have been Israel. So that, that's the type and shadow. So when you're reading those things, read that we're talking about ourselves and how these things should come forth. Um, we're, as we move into these things, we're going to move into them very much into, uh, guys, I think we are at a, if God ever has a throwdown, I think we're at his throwdown right now. I've often been accused of being too black and white. When we're dealing with the things of God, I do not think that's possible. Everything is either of the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. Everything's either of the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of heaven. It's of the kingdom of our enemy, that serpent, that dragon, the Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, or our Lord Jesus Christ and his Father our Father, who art in heaven. It's one or the other. It can't be, can't, there's no mixing. Y'all remember, many of you would remember, I I told the story of a vision God gave me early in the 90s where uh, he, he put before me two beakers of water. One of them was fresh water and one of them was sewer water. And the question he asked me was, how much fresh water do I need to pour into that sewer water to get you to drink it? Of course, my answer was, you can't. Not, there's not enough. And he said, well, how many drops of sewer water can I put in the fresh water and you still drink it? And I said, none. And he said, that's how, how far you must keep these two things apart. There can be no darkness in the presence of light. There is no place where the kingdom of this world or the unredeemed people of this world have a place in the kingdom of God. It just does not exist. Now, having said that, we all have to go through a process of being saved, being redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and then being matured into the fullness of who God intended us to be, to live out our destiny, to carry forth his stuff. And once we have cried out on the name of Christ, and we have been redeemed, and we're in the hand of Christ. We're not going to be lost. We're going to heaven. That's, that's a finished thing. But there will be a period of the millennium where our maturing will take place. If we have not matured during our time in the wilderness and before we go into the promised land, it will happen in the millennium. I'm full well believe God intended for us to mature here and to experience the promised land, his kingdom here on earth. That was his desire. And it is available to us all that if we will mature up, we'll get to pass through the Jordan into the promised land and see the goodness of God here on earth. That, that we'll see it fully. We'll also be observing the world going through its crisis, though. And that's the hard part. Because you're going to watch these things go forth. But it's my belief that God is um, declaring caution, warnings to us today. Wooing us, if you would, through all the things that that the people of Israel, the people of God went through after they got in the promised land when they rejected God's ways and his ordinances and his decrees. All of the 
uh, everything they experienced there, everything they, that Egypt, the kingdom of darkness, experienced in order to release them. And one of the things that came on Egypt was plagues, trying to get them to let the people of God come out. This world is going to undergo some very tough times for a dual purpose. Number one, to wake us up, and number two, for the world to release us, to let go of us. Things are going to have to change, guys. I mean, they clearly are. Uh, some of the things that we, we need to see and, and differentiate between is between the people of God and the people of this world. I keep, I keep reading about all the, you know, God warned them. God told Moses. Moses told him, said, look, you're going to go into the promised land, and boy, things are going to get good, and your sons are going to begin to marry the daughters of the other nations, and in doing so, you'll be tempted into worshiping their idols. Tommy and I talked about this again this morning. We're here in the, in the season of the awards programs, and everybody's got their own idol. I got my little gold Emmy. I got my little gold, uh, forget what the others are, Oscars. I got my, my voice uh, idol, or I even got one that's called the American Idol. idol. You know, these are gold idols that we have made that honor everything but God. Everything but God. Um, one, of the, one of the attributes that, that Scripture says will come on us in the last days is we will become lovers of ourself. Now, sometimes we think lovers of ourself is Doug loving Doug. But Doug can also love what mankind does. That can be a lover of ourselves. That's what those things do, whether it's the Master's Trophy or the Oscar Trophy or the Idol Trophy. These are all celebrations about what man can do. And let's don't leave out the, the March Madness <laughs> Trophy, too. I mean, we've got them all. The Super Bowl Trophy, they, we're inundated with it in, this, in the first part of the year of all these idols being put on display. And we worship them, y'all. Worship is the simple thing of adoring something. That's what adoration is. That, that is worship, and we do it. And God is going to call us away from these things. He, he is calling us to cease our worship of false idols. We don't only do it in the entertainment aspect. We, we certainly do it there, but we don't only do it there. We do it in work. We do it in commerce. We do it. There are every aspect of of the world is an affront to the ways of God. It, it just simply is, and so we are going to have to begin to wake up to what God is saying to us. Now, you know, I want to I want to speak to you about our love of the truth in the future, and how the love of the truth will close the door on that spirit of deception. I think we could all probably very eagerly, eagerly say, the serpent deceived me and I ate. But we've all been deceived. And it, deception is a byproduct of our failure to love the truth. So that are going to be some things that we talk about in the future. 
going to get a little offensive. I'm going to say it right now, and we'll repeat it later on. I will tell you right now, America never has nor ever will represent God our Father. I'm going to, we're going to move into an area, and this, it's real critical that you separate these two things. I'm not to, Israel, the people of God, our friends who love the Lord, that is one thing. But there's another thing on the other side that I call institutional church. The system of institutional church. Not the people, the system. These are the people of God who's been deceived into thinking this is the voice of God. But I'm here to tell you, since 350, institutional church has never, nor will it ever, speak for God. The there was a Catholic church that was established by the Lord Jesus Christ. Catholic meaning universal. One universal church. One body of Christ. That whole thing. Jesus Christ established that. In the mid-350s, mid-300s, let me say it that way. Constantine established a new Catholic church. The Roman Catholic church. From that point on, and everything that's a daughter of that, all of our denominations, all of our non-denominations, all of our church system that has been, has replicated that thing, it has never spoken for God. It speaks for itself. It lives off the doctrines of man. It has never represented the living God. The peop God always visits with his people. He spoke through prophets. He continues to speak through prophets. And he will speak to us. And he will call all of us in our deception that went into that thing. He's going to call us out of it. The people of God are going to come out of that system. They're going to come out of that bondage. As surely as we're going to come out of the world and out of the bondage of the of kingdom of darkness. And so we're going to begin over the next few weeks to talk about how God's calling us out. Where he's moving us forward. Where we have been deceived. Where we have failed to love the truth in a manner that would protect us from being deceived. Now, guys, we have a, we have a, <laughs> there's no doubt we have an enemy who's very crafty and he's cunning and he's deceived us along the way. And part of our being naive has, has led to that. I said, some of y'all heard me say this a few weeks ago. I had to repent. I was so naive. I could not believe that people of God would be deceived into this QAnon stuff, those false things. But the number of people who were deceived by that just overwhelmed me. And I realized then how lacking the love of uh, truth is and how lacking the order of God in our lives was and how we need to go back and reestablish this. So you're going to hear me talking. My, my sense that part of my role is is to be a Nehemiah of our day. In the sense of this, God has given us understanding and revelation concerning the principles of his kingdom. He has principles of a king. A nation will always go the way of its king. Uh, love, your, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your enemies. The, these are principles of the kingdom of God that are intended to protect the people of God. As the mountain of the Lord comes up, we are going to be asked 
and encouraged to establish the walls of protection around it. Those walls will be these principles. Uh, and, and it's not our responsibility totally. The Lord will do it. And even in Nehemiah, it said once he started, all the people came. So I know there'll be many who will come to do this. But we're going to begin to establish a wall of protection for the people of God from the things of the world through uh, the principles of the kingdom of God. So I look forward to visiting with you about this. Begin to transfer. When you read and hear and see these things of old, ark, covenant, Israel, uh, wilderness, Egypt, promised land, when you see all those things, Ark of the Covenant, Tabernacle. And let, me, let me say this right now, too. <clears throat> We've said this in previous t- teaching, but we need to establish it. <clears throat> everybody, mo- not everybody, many people think God told David to tell Solomon to build a temple. And that's not true at all. Not true at all. God always wanted to inhabit man. He wanted man to be his tabernacle. That's why he gave him a tabernacle that could move among them. He told David not to build it. He said, your son will build it. David made the mistake most of us did. He just assumed Solomon would be the one. And so he helped Solomon build it. God said to Solomon, as for this temple you have built, it will be my dwelling place as long as you obey everything I say I have said. Adam and I estimated it took about that long. God went in, went out. The son that God intended to build his house was the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a son of David. He's in the lineage of David. He is the son that God intended to build his house. And he even goes on to say, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. You are the body of Christ is the tabernacle of God, is the dwelling place of God. Both individually and corporately, we are the dwelling place of God. And it's what he always intended. And he never intended to have those temples in there in that way. He always meant for it to be a tabernacle. So when you think of the tabernacle, think of it as the dwelling place of God that reflects his glory. Remember when Aaron and his sons would go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of the living God had come down, they would come out and their face would radiate from, the, from reflecting the presence of God. God's desire to find a dwelling place in each of you is so that His, His glory can be reflected. That glory that Jesus Christ had while He was here on earth that He left for us, He wants that to be able to be seen and be reflected from our faces. And that's, what he, that's where we're headed to go. So we're, we're going to talk about that. But when you think of those Old Testament words, begin to think of them how they apply to us so that we might rise up to the reality of the destiny that God has intended for each one of us. Okay? So we'll come back next week and get into the middle of that stuff. Thank you.